WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And welcome to our Alien special. Uh, we are marking the launch of Marvel's Alien number one with a red episode, a Three Amigos special. Uh, please welcome back to the show, guest of guests and subject matter expert for this episode, Rob Lynch. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah, we're going to do this thing, but you know, I think first we need to discuss the bonus situation. Ah, uh, you want shares, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Full shares, baby. Uh, and our special guest, the writer of Marvel's new Alien series, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, normally for first-time guests, uh, we ask about uh, the first comics they remember reading. But uh, Philip, uh, what was your first exposure to the Alien franchise? Oh, my God. I, uh, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember which movie it was or how old I was, but it was definitely too young. Like I, I, uh, my gut tells me that the first one is the one that I saw first, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Okay. Um, I saw the first two films so many times. And I mean, I was, the way I took in movies back then um, was all like the, the TV was, you know, super shitty and it was all, Pretty much whatever came on network TV was what I saw. And um, like we'd sometimes VHS record stuff. And occasionally we'd rent something, but I, I don't think we would have rented that. I'm not, yeah, I'd, these movies are such a part of my DNA. I don't remember what, which movie came first and which one I saw first even. But I, I remember, I do remember doing like basically fan fiction <laughs> um, as soon as I had seen them and just imagined different versions of them and all the places they could have been. Because I mean, as much as the aliens, another thing that, um, that really captured my imagination was the, the derelict and the space jockey that was sitting there and how wild all that stuff looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how alien it looked, you know, like the, the Giger designs of how the, the tech and the biology all kind of weaves together and you can't tell what's what. Um, oh, it was just such, such a crazy experiment. And I, I just love everything about that movie. Probably, I mean, if I had to pick between the first two, I th- I'd probably have to go with the first one just because it made such a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for for a long time, I just I would just make up stories about different kinds of aliens from different places, and you know, ah, it's just incredible works of art. Awesome, uh, Rob. Same question. First exposure to Alien. Well, like any child of the '80s, I had uh, babysitters from hell. <laughs> so I, I I saw the original Alien around the time when uh, basically I was old enough to. Uh, apologize to santa that year because i really wanted omega supreme <laughs> that gives you an idea of how long ago it was um it really the, the, the franchise itself really didn't stick with me until i saw aliens a few years later uh like like uh, philip said it was on network tv the big network tv debut which you know a little bit sanitized um i think at that point it was like my favorite movie of all time uh they were the first of the first two movies that i ever bought on video cassette oh wow as well yeah I've owned them in just about every format <laughs> you could think of at this point. Laserdisc? <laughs> I do own the Laserdiscs, yes. I do not currently own a player, but I do own the Laserdiscs. <laughs> my first time I saw a Laserdisc, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, it's a giant CD. This is so weird. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Aliens was like the Laserdisc to get back in the day because that introduced the idea of having like an, multiple cuts and uh, audio commentaries and things like that god that's awesome yeah i I first learned i mean i was not really a big movie guy in general until i got to college and then this guy this friend of mine became a great friend of mine who used i used to hang out in his room with it's like a little crew of like four of us we would hang out in this dorm and just watch stuff and he was this huge cinephile and um that was the 
my first memory of watching movies that where the format was decent and he was watching, he had all these DVDs, this huge collection of DVDs already, which before, that was before DVD was like as common as it is now. Um, but he still, he already had a pretty wide selection and we watched stuff with commentary and I was like, this is the coolest it'll mm-hmm. ever get. So yeah, we just watched these, you know, widescreen versions of like extended cuts of movies with commentary and all that. And it was just this really eye-opening time for me. Uh, now, Matt, how about you, buddy? Uh, first alien encounter. <laughs> I, I've been trying to remember, and I'm sure I saw bits and pieces of the first three aliens on TV sanitized points or another in my youth. The first thing that comes to mind, and this will shock absolutely no one who has listened to more than one episode of this show, was the Ron Mars, Bernie Wrightson, Batman alien. Because mm-hmm. it's Batman and that's my thing. And it's Bernie Wrightson. So it's freaking gorgeous on top of it having Batman fighting aliens, which is awesome. Actually sitting down and watching the movies as they were intended was college. That was in that same sort of thing that I talked about when we did the Halloween episode where my parents weren't, or my mother specifically wasn't big on, you know, R-rated movies until whenever. So when I went off to college, it was like, all right, horror movies, (laughs) put them into my veins. And I watched everything I could. Now, uh, confession time for me. Uh, there is an ignoramus among you. Uh, I, I actually, I never watched any of the Alien movies until last night. I started the first one. And then oh, I, I fell asleep on the couch uh, like an old fuck. Uh, but, uh, oh. you know, biggest surprise for me uh, in that first hour of the first movie, young Tom Skerritt. Who knew? Uh, everyone who'd seen the movie. No fair. offense, my friend. That's now, fair. Now, here's the thing. If you've only seen the first hour of the movie, yeah. you haven't seen Alien. You've seen a Robert Altman movie about truck drivers in space. You've seen nothing Alien yet. Yeah, where'd you leave off? Oh, shit. The little, um, uh, the, the little xenomorph had popped out of John Hurt's chest and like scurried off. I chest think was like it. the last thing I remember. <laughs> How tired were you? Sleep after that? <laughs> I was say, how tired were you that you fell asleep at that moment? <laughs> I know, man. I know. It was like it was like ten. It was like ten o'clock. Or, I think when we started, and so go go figure. I, I don't know. I got no excuse, honestly. <laughs> but uh, quick subject change. Uh, so yeah, uh, Philip, you're gonna be writing new Marvel's new Alien series, as we mentioned, which launches uh, March 24th, uh, drawn by Salvador Larocca. Uh, so that'll be like the week this episode drops. Uh, as as we as we do, uh, Matt, uh, go ahead and read the uh, the fine solicit text for this comic. Gabriel Cruz gave his life to Wayland Yutani. In the case of an alien attack, he barely survived. Recently retired, Cruz is trying to patch things up with his abandoned son to help his friend, a Bishop model android, and his reentry into civilian life is not going smoothly and his encounters with the deadly xenomorph are far from that seed. So, uh, yeah, how, uh, Philip, how did you get involved with this project? Um, I saw the news release with everyone else that Marvel was doing it. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was, I mean, over the moon excited, even just for that. Like, just to see that 
a book was coming. I was like, yes. I was, I mean, it's such a, I mean, the Dark Horse books are great too, but uh, seeing that Marvel was taking the reins after they've done such a great job with the Star Wars stuff. Um, I was, I was really excited to see what was going to happen next. You know, they, they put out this really beautiful David Finch art with uh, the, they, uh, they announced Predator books as well. So they, they showed really great Predator art and alien art. Um, so yeah, I was just at that, on that day, I was just a fan like everyone else. But right after that, I did something that I never do. And I reached out to my, my editor on <clears throat> the guy who had edited Marvel Zombies Resurrection that I had just written. Mm-hmm. Reached out to him. I was like, you gotta give me this book. Like you don't know anyone who loves this series like I do. Like I, I can tell you anything right now about anything that's ever come out. <laughs> alien. Um, and the way I kind of kicked the door in kind of made an impression. <laughs> and, uh, like there was a there was a Homer back into the bushes kind of moment where like okay like take it easy like I but unbeknownst to me well first of all that yeah he was way into it he was like you know what I think that yeah that'd be a really good fit because there was already a lot of the alien DNA kind of in my Marvel zombie story mm-hmm. uh, that I mean you could just read that story and tell the influence of that first movie um, or the first two movies um, so. Unbeknownst to me, there was actually, I had, a, had an agent on the inside. I had somebody in Marvel already that was kind of singing my praises and trying to get me on that book already. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. Um, but between my exuberance at the, at the prospect and um, whoever was pitching for me, I got the call. And um, I got the impression there might have been kind of a bake-off. I'm not sure if they were talking to somebody else or not. It seemed like they might have been talking to someone else too. Mm-hmm. Um, then I gave them some pitches and, and they went with me and... It's been pretty, pretty sweet since then. I really, I love working on this book. Um, we're about four issues in so far. And I mean, I would gladly write this series like the rest of my days. I got, I have as many ideas as, as you know, as long as they want me to, to write them. To your mind, you know, what, what makes the, the Alien franchise as endlessly adaptable as it appears to be? You know, over four decades, you know, comics, we've gotten short films, we've gotten video games, TV, action figures. Uh, apparently a high school in North, Jer- in North Jersey made a stage version of it. Yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> Dude, it's, I mean, I mean, it's such, it's such a beloved property. I mean, it's, it's so iconic, you know, and, and every movie kind of reinvents itself, at least for the, for the first little while. Anyway, mm-hmm. those first three movies are all very different from each other in a way I really admire. Um, the, the most recent two, um, Prometheus and Covenant, mm-hmm. that not everyone loves, but I love them. Um, they're almost like, that first one at least, Prometheus, it felt almost like a, like a remake. That's like they, they kind of explored, they had like a, not a similar setup, I'm not sure how to express it. Like they, I saw a lot of similarities to that in the first film, but they just made it, they added a lot of subtext. Um, it became about the creation of life. I mean, just the, the, the big, the big questions about where we come from and everything mm-hmm. just kind of, it showed the, it sort of showed the, um, those moments of discovery again. Um, and those same iconic images of terror, but, uh, added a lot of subtext about, about creation with the, with the androids and the, uh, and the xenomorphs themselves or the, you know, other life that they find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just, with every director, it just, they reinvent themselves over and over again. And I, I've been very impressed with a lot of the different versions that they've done. I mean, the first one was just a claustrophobic horror movie in space. And then that next one, 
takes this huge turn, hard turn into action films. And it's like one of the best action movies ever, even without yeah. the horror elements. Mm-hmm. It's also such a great horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and adds all this, ele- this um, emotional um, stuff to it as well that we didn't quite get in the first one. Um, God, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I'm just like swarming <laughs> my love for the films. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that makes it take root so so easily in our minds is the iconic Giger imagery, the HR Giger design of the of the xenomorph, of all the, the different stages of xenomorph. Um, it's just the perfect expression of fear on film, in my opinion. It's the single most perfect image of of horror. You know. Um, I don't think if, if they had done a different kind of like just look up any kind of just Google alien or scary alien or whatever and try to find anything that touches it. You know, I can't imagine that movie working as well as it did with an alien that was less horrifying than this one is. Um, there have been other alien movie setups that are pretty much as an intriguing as, as, as this, as far as like the plot devices and characters, mm-hmm. but without, without that horrifying life cycle that the alien brings mm-hmm. and the, just the imagery of it, just the, the way that they impregnate their hosts and just the mm-hmm. just violation of it, uh, everything about it is just so gross and terrifying. And <laughs> I'm thinking of that movie that came out a few years ago. Uh, remember that movie life that came out a few years ago, which I thought yeah. great setup, great cast, everything worked except for the fucking alien. Just didn't, yeah, it did not work. It could have almost been an alien movie itself, right? Like it was yeah. so, much, so mm-hmm. much to it that was very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that that key, man, like it's just, it just mm-hmm. looks so kick ass and it, yeah. it's so horrifying. And they developed it further in the next one, and further in the next one, the way they mm-hmm. they keep developing the um, the alien biology um, just keeps you horrified, you know. I did. I admittedly did not care for Resurrection at all. <laughs> I can't. That's, that's one I've, I've watched uh, all the way through about one time. <clears throat> but all the others, I stand by wholeheartedly. Only other alien horror movie, not alien, capital A, lowercase alien <laughs> horror movie that I think works on the same level of skin crawling horror is Carpenter's Thing. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, but even, even that one, um, I mean, yes, I love that film. That's a great mm-hmm. film. But it didn't have like a, like a design, right? Like it's not like, here's what it looks like. It's this shape-shifting freako. And um, it didn't have that design to lean on um, and had to rely on other elements, just the, like the unknowable element to it that made mm-hmm. it so freakish. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the sequel yeah. too. Um, the, uh, not the, uh, the other one by the same title that they brought more recently. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was cool how yeah. they went together. But um, I mean, even Giger designed the, he designed Eve, the, the thing from Species. And you can look at it and see the Giger influence on it. Um, the, uh, cause he's, he did all these other female, like female based horror designs in his work, sculptures and, and other things. Um, and Eve looks just like one of those things, but I don't know, somehow, putting her in a real, making it a real person in a suit, it just looked too, I don't know, looked too, too human almost. I'm not sure. There's something about it that didn't quite, didn't quite um, hit the same heights um, as Xenomorph did. Even though the Xenomorph was also a guy in a suit, it somehow looked just different enough from us that it just really captured the imagination where Eve was more humanoid and 
more like beautiful almost. Um, but yes, just the xenomorph itself is just so God. Just. You know, even aside from just the xenomorph, I mean, and everything, you know, I mean, Giger was a huge, huge part of, you know, the original alien. Um, you also had the influence of Mobius and Ron Cobb. Right. It's just all these ingredients that came together. I mean, it was just that zeitgeist in the late seventies of, you know, we're going to make science fiction that does not look like 2001 or forbidden planet anymore. You have that very kind of like lived in, you know, tangible look. I mean, before alien, I mean, nobody sweat or sweated or cursed or wore sneakers, <laughs> you know, and had unkept hair and beards in science fiction and everything like that. And it's, it's just, thought, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. And Mo- Mobius too, you're right. If you, if you see, um, the, uh, the new HBO show, I know it's not really Scott all the way through, but, um, um, raised by wolves yeah. has, has a lot of Mobius in, uh, influence in there as well. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because, you know, we're clearly each of these movies we're talking about sort of being a product of their time. Right. So so the late 70s sort of sci fi influence on the original Alien, the fact that Aliens is is an action movie, you know, in 86, you know, the height of, mm-hmm. of you know, the Stallone Schwarzenegger sort of peak and even talking about species and, and the way that that Eve looked, that's a product of that sort of 90s like sex thriller, you know, you're coming off of like your basic instincts and your disclosures. That's and your, true. Your that's body true. of evidences, bodies of evidence. That's a really good point. <laughs> and Resurrection tries to be a 90s blockbuster and doesn't exactly pull it off. Uh, you know what, Joss Whedon and European fantasy, you know, <laughs> cinematography, it just does not go well together. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't in that case. I mean, even just the intro, um, the one the intro that I remember the most distinctly was uh, like it starts out with the, the little CG bug. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And then uh, the guy, like the pilot, squishes it. Pilot, pilot who I think is also the director, squishes <laughs> it, like, flicks it off of himself, and then it was this big open. I don't know. There's something about it that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And um, every like I just can't get through that movie, man. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, just for one thing, I don't like how the the um where they go with the alien biology it's cool seeing them swim and all that there's a lot of moments that look cool like as static images um but at the end where you see the ones with the, the human eyes and all that it's just, i don't know it's just just didn't it just seemed it didn't seem to be in the same world as the other films it felt like fan fiction but i don't know that's I, just me we can, all, we saw, can just hang it all on joss whedon and it's fine <laughs> right <laughs> I, I saw alien resurrection uh, opening night and it's one of those few movies I ever walked out of where I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. And it wasn't until like a day later, I think I was actually a little bit sad, like thinking it's over. They're not going to make another one after this. I mean, this is kind of a franchise killer and, you know, we'll get the dark horse books most likely still, but. Yeah, no yeah. And I, um, I mean, it came back strong. I thought, I know not every, I know Prometheus is not universally loved, but I think it's awesome. Uh, there's a ton of stuff and I think it does super well. I think the thing with Prometheus and Covenant, you know, they, they really were ambitious in that they were going in another direction. And I don't think it's what a lot of the fans expected. Um, I mean, I think there is going to be um, a reassessment of them in years. And I mean, there's all these like fan edits out there and everything like this. Um, I mean, the discussion is always going to be open on those two films, you know, but speaking to that, um, 
like the last 20 minutes of covenant almost seemed like oh well you know what shit we got to make this an alien movie now and i think that was my only real disappointment with those two movies that it just it went back into that well so pat you know and that i just wish it didn't have to go into that direction it felt to me like it was a studio mandate they were like we're gonna give you another one but make it like a straight up alien movie this time yeah yeah and um i don't know i liked it i was i'm trying to think of yeah, I honestly, I I was pretty happy with it. I the one the big problem that I have with it, I guess, is that it tries to tie, it basically answers the question of where the aliens come from. Or at least it, it sets mm-hmm. out to do that. Um, and eh, I personally think you shouldn't do that. Like it's like um, if you like the aliens should be this unknowable ancient thing. Like I always envision the aliens. Um, the xenomorph specifically as the thing that kind of is out there in the cosmos just waiting for intelligent life to stick its head up you know like for it to to get smart enough and to to venture far enough that they find this thing and then it takes them off the map like the the xenomorph is kind of the the thing that keeps the that keeps the universe clean you know of us (laughs) Um, like like beetles on a corpse you know I um, so that that's how I always envision them. So now that we've straight up answered the question of where they come from, and it's us, and they're not even that old, um, that kind of ruins that whole mystics, uh, like you know, unknowable, um, you know, mysterious quality to them. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, you can also kind of you know, you can walk that back and say, yeah, but there must be more to them because there's that big bas relief on the wall in Prometheus where you see like the alien in the Christ pose, mm-hmm. meaning like surely it's old. I mean, they, they've seen me before this point. So even though David did create those things in, in covenant, apparently they've, that's like their final form already. Like there's the thing that they've, it's already out there in some form. It has been in the past. Plus there's all these, we've seen all these different iterations of creature that the, the black goo, the, the accelerant can make. And now that's, you know, to me, that's the new mystery. Like, where does that come from? Did they make it or did they just, is this thing they discovered it or, it clearly has many purposes. Um, so now that's sort of the, the mystery in my mind. Like, what is that stuff? And what else could it be? What else could it have created out in the universe? Uh, the other thing about the alien movies, and it's just one of the things that occurred to me when I was, when you're talking about Prometheus and I was thinking about, about that film, there is not a single other horror or sci-fi franchise outside of the Star Wars in a certain way that gets that caliber of a cast. Even going back to Alien, Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at this tiny, tight little cast and I mean, Sigourney Weaver, Ian Holm, Tom Skerritt, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt. Yafet Kodo. It's just a a murderer's row of just great 70s character actors. Then you have Sigourney with the big breakout of the 80s. Yep. And in each movie, I mean, you look at Aliens and you get, you know, Michael Bean and Paul Reiser and Lance Henriksen, who, yes. Uh, I mean, in Prometheus, I mean, Fassbender and Idris Elba and just everyone. Mm -hmm. Fassbender makes those films. Now, I've I've said I love those movies, but without Fassbender, it's like Star Wars with that Han Solo, you know, like, Harrison Ford just adds so much to that cast. I just can't imagine Star mm-hmm. Wars being what it was without him. 
And I cannot imagine those new films without David Fassbender. He just sells the shit out of it. I just mm-hmm. love it. Now, tying it in with your book, Philip, and I understand these are probably questions that you can't answer for whatever reasons. <laughs> totally understand that. But what, what exactly is the well that you can draw from as far as the mythology and the canon and what we've seen before? Um, I mean, like, are you going to be dealing with the prequel verse that Ridley established? Um, I'm mostly drawing from the first two films in this one. Um, they, I mean, I'm sure they would have let me draw some more if I wanted to, but this is just the first arc of what I hope would be many. And I didn't, I, I didn't want to overstep right away. You know, like it's, I really admire how the first several movies um, and in the last couple, they, they kind of keep adding to the, um, to the underlying, like, you know, subplots. Like the, you see the introduction of the Android out of the, blue in that first one like whoa dude's bleeding white what's happening you realize oh okay i guess i get it um and then the next one you see the further development of the androids and then you know i mean i guess you see him again in three but then the introduction of david later um and then also the introduction of the new elements of the alien's life cycle or the new the new expressions of the xenomorph based on different hosts or you know the first you see the standard xenomorph you see the queen and you see the, the quadruped one in the third film. Um, I wanted to keep building that way, like stepwise. I wanted to make something that felt just like a film that belongs on the shelf next to those other films. Um, so that kind of informed a lot that we did with the story. We wanted to make it feel just like the movies. Because as great as a lot of those Dark Horse books are, um, some of them take such wild creative swings, which are awesome, but they, it kind of makes them feel not of the same world as the, the films, in my opinion. Like every now and then you'll get something that, take, that just strays so far from the canon material that in my, in my brain canon, they're kind of like fan fiction and they don't quite feel like uh, mm-hmm. you know, the real thing anymore. So I wanted, this, I wanted something that felt just like those first two movies, like this claustrophobic is the first one that I dearly love, but also with some of the elements from the second one, like the military combat, a little bit of that, mm-hmm. because in the second movie just cast such a long shadow um, it's hard not to at least acknowledge it. So we have, um, you know, it's not just a couple of people and an alien looking for them on the ship. There's, there's more to it. Cool. Um, so yeah, the first two movies are probably the biggest, biggest influences on there. But I also, I mean, I draw a little bit from, um, from the games. I draw a little bit from the graphic novels, but for the most part, it's those first two movies. I know, speaking of the games, I know isolation has kind of taken its own Oh man, it's great. Like it's all own universe in itself. I mean, you know, uh, Amanda Ripley has spun off to become this this huge like extended universe character yeah. in herself. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I just, when I say the games, that's, that's really the one I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there, there's been other ones that are you know fine, but but Isolation is super legit. I love it. Yes. So yeah, that's kind of draws some inspiration from that too. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm I'm really curious about with the book that. Um, the POV character, I mean, normally what we saw in like the old Dark Horse books was from the perspective of, you know, survivors or, you know, the military or, or people that were trying to like either co-opt or exploit the aliens. I mean, I think some of the best books they ever did were people that were trying to profit off of them. Um, you're going with a Weyland yutani employee, which I think is a really fascinating and like smart way to go. My first thought with that is like the inner workings of somebody who works for this company, we, we know so little about them but we know how insidious they are 
And I keep thinking of like the Carter Burke character from Aliens. And, and it's just, you know, what kind of person, you know, internally it can work for a company like that? I mean, where, where do your morals lie? I mean, is it all just greed and misanthropy, you know? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, we, well, we get into that. I mean, we get somebody who, um, who a lot of the blame for what happened with Ben Tani over the years can be laid at this dude's feet. And we see his own history with Whale-Nutani, with, uh, with the Xenomorph specifically, um, how he gets to this place. He's a guy who, I mean, his entire career has been with Whale-Nutani. He gave up everything for him. Um, gave up his family for him for the most, I mean, essentially. And um, at the very end of his life, he kind of gets thrown away by them anyway. And mm. he's in this position where he's like, well, okay, now what do I salvage in my life? And um, he finds himself in a position where he has to kind of go back, you know, go back in the nest one more time and uh, evaluate what his legacy really is. Like, is he going to, what's he care about? You know, is it his son? Is it the, his legacy at the company? His, uh, his loyalty is tested in a very real way that has to be dealt with right away. And uh, he's a shady dude. We kind of don't know what he's going to do, you know, but it's uh, he's a character I'm very proud of. And um yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen the plucky survivor so many times. We've seen Ripley so many times specifically, and um, <clears throat> she and Shaw both cast like they're they're both super larger than life characters. I think I like Shaw a lot, yeah. but but Ripley is this you know horror icon now, sci-fi icon, and any female character that I've cast in that. I mean, every protagonist so far has been female in the films, and I feel like I didn't want to be compared to those characters. I wanted this new character to stood on their own. And so I made a very different kind of character for the story and uh, with a very different kind of setup and, and life. Um, so yeah, I'm very proud of them. I hope people will to, you know, connect with them like I do. Right. That, that's awesome. So uh, like we mentioned, you're working with Sal LaRocca, uh, who's got experience drawing uh, you know, uh, D- Disney's movie properties, having done a bunch of the modern uh, Star Wars comics. Uh, you know, what, what are the, some of the benefits that you've found of, of working with Sal so far? Man, he's incredible. He's he's such a super detail-oriented artist. Um, I mean, yeah, he's got experience working from from photo reference of all the of, of actors and and um, you know ships and sets and um, landscapes. Like he's, he just nails all his little detail. He'll he'll scour a film looking for the design of a specific weapon, you know, and just nail it um, over and over every frame. And um, it's super important for Alien because, I mean, that thing is so, it's so awesome to look at. But if you actually try to draw one, it is an incredibly detail-oriented yeah. thing. It's like so many little lines and details on this thing. Mm-hmm. And they've all got to look like that. And he just nails it page after page. And he draws that thing so many times over and over and over and always looks perfect. So, yeah, I mean, he just, he's putting in the hours in this book. And he's, he's great for this. He's made for this. And he's a huge Alien fan, which is a nice bonus. Very good. Uh, I know what I've seen from the preview art. I mean, he really retains that biomechanical look. I mean, yeah. even some some of the great stories that you know Dark Horse did back in the '90s. Some of the artists tend, to, you know, they got a little bit chunky and muscular and, and a little bit more organic. And you know, I, I like that more. Yeah, the Giger vision yeah, yeah. be at the forefront of the of the book. You know, like Giger's stuff is what made it so special, and I really wanted it to be, you know, mm-hmm. right in front of the book. And he's he's crushing it. So you've done you've done a lot of 
of your own world building on on books like The Last God and and Warlords of Appalachia, you know, how does that translate for you when you're thrust onto an existing property like this? Um, it, I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't a, a, a property I was already intimately associated with, mm-hmm. I would be doing a ton of research. But as it is, I've been training my entire life for a race I never knew was coming, <laughs> and I've been. Mm-hmm. I already, like, before I got the call, I've already been through every single thing on the Blu-ray menus of everything. <laughs> um, like, you know, on Covenant, how David's got all those journals and pictures and, like, yeah. you know, stuff uh, of the creatures he's been making and studying. Mm-hmm. I read all that shit. Like, there's every page of journals. And actually, I got to use some of it. There was a, um, I'm introducing a new, a new aspect to the alien life cycle. And I got some pushback from them. They're like, hey, this isn't how it works. And I was like, well, actually, if you refer to the <laughs> you'll see that it's perfectly plausible. And um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, in this case, I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> I just um, drew on the well of knowledge I've been building my whole life. Um, I, did start, I did start replaying Isolation again. Um, but aside from that, I don't really have to do much research. And I, I, there are specific uh, alien Dark Horse books that I've gone back to read as well. Um, just ones that I remember liking a lot and not so much for research exactly, mm-hmm. but, um, <clears throat> just cause I really like him and I kind of want to, you know, stay in the same sort of, you know, vibe as some of the other ones. I do like the idea of replaying a video game, uh, research being research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once well, the game is so immersed in that universe, it, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. No, I thought they did a really nice job. Introduced this company that I had never heard of, like a kind of a, a um, competitor to Whalen Utani, a kind of a small ball version of Whalen Utani in that game. I can't remember the name of it offhand. But um, yeah, I wanted to explore the um, the just hugeness of Whalen Utani as a company and show show how it how it behaves on the global governmental stage. You know, like I've, I've read stuff about um, like the President of the United States taking a meeting with Exxon, the head of Exxon. And in that meeting, they speak to each other like peers. It's not like the, the Exxon guy doesn't show any deference to the president because it's, it's like it's almost like they have their own sovereign nation. I mean, they're so massive and powerful. Um, and I want to see Wayne Yutani on its way towards becoming like bigger than the concept of global government. You know, like this company that's so big, it cannot be policed. Because, I mean, there's, you know, arguably there's companies that are headed that way. Um, I wanted to take a look at that in the book, which is another another reason why I wanted to get into, you know, the inside look, the inside man perspective uh, of William Tony. And what are some of the Dark Horse books you've been rereading? What are some of those favorites of yours? I really love Salvation that um, David Gibbons and Mike Mignola did. I thought that was extremely well done. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked the uh, Fire and Stone stuff more recently by Kelly Sue McConnick. That was really, really good too. Um, God, I'm forgetting some other ones. Um, those are the ones that I'm thinking of offhand, but there were several others I also looked for. Shit, what were they? I don't know. I'll come back to if it. they come back, if they come <laughs> yeah. to you, let us know. This is always the, we go through this every episode when it's, we have so good. What are you reading? Or what's this? And it's like, uh, I always feel bad like I'm putting somebody on the spot. Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read those. It's been a few months since I got those back out again, but um, Labyrinth was also really cool. It's very, 
not not exactly of a same of a type with the with the films, but super creepy. This really makes you feel kind of gross. Like there's the stuff in it that's really rough, and it just explores the horror elements really well. I thought, mm-hmm. but uh, I really like Salvation. I mean that that one mm-hmm. for me, the way the art ties in, but also just the the um um the religious iconography, the religious elements to it mm-hmm. and, and the new environment, like the, the place where they are, it's almost like a tropical place and you never see like a, like a deserted Island kind of setup um, with alien life there, but also with Xenomorphs and it's just so good. So yeah, highly recommend. And I really like how fire and stone ties in with the films as well. That was very, very well done. I know uh, more recently as one of uh, dark horses, last hurrahs, we had uh, James Tico's dead orbit. Which that was, was another one. Dead Orbit. Phenomenal. I like that one that, too. And he's that, he's that book really well. That is the Fury Road of Alien comics. That's where it just goes back to the basics of, for sure. You know, just that tension in space. Yeah. Yeah, very much like the first movie. I thought. Um, yeah, that was another. You're right. That was one. I was one of the ones I was trying to think of. You know, one of the things I loved about the Dark Horse books, you know, in general. Um, I, I love like the cyclical nature where, you know, you would only have like these four issue miniseries where it was almost like this anthology. And it was really done in a way where the creatures were very rarely the point of the story. It was always about, you know, the nature of humanity and the survivors and, and things like that. It was very much like in the George Romero model, like when he did Dawn of the Dead, like starting with that and then carrying on where it became these like allegories for things in society and, you know, like like landed like the brilliantly underrated uh, land of the dead, um, and I thought that you know, and it kind of carried on to what you know is kind of called zombie opera, right? where you had you know like the Walking Dead and Train to Busan, and oh, yeah, uh, that's a great one yeah, too. Blood Quantum from last year. You know, it's almost like it, not the saying it's like interchangeable. You know, between like you know xenomorphs and zombies, but just that that style of st- like very thoughtful storytelling within that universe oh, dude i've not seen blood quantum yet that's on my list of movies to see and i've not got to that one yet amazing so, amazing yeah, it, 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 I, i've got a shutter thing and uh i just keep forgetting to get that movie and on my on my queue it has like the intensity and the humor of like early john carpenter nice and i'll, okay. and I'll say no more but that was one of my favorite movies of last year nice. totally recommended yeah yeah so look for it actually let me do it right now while we're talking <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, um, subtext is super important to me. And these, like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm always trying to tell stories that really matter to me, um, and just kind of dress them up in genre stuff. Uh, but there has to be some kind of subtext there. If it's just, if it's just aliens killing shit, I mean, nobody's going to care about that. But there has to be some deeper thing to it, even if it's not. I mean, you shouldn't beat them over the head with it, but it shouldn't just be visual, you know, freak out stuff all the time. There, there has to be some kind of deeper story there to make it matter and to make it last. Um, so yeah, rather than just give them visual set pieces, um, I try to actually earn, earn my keep as a writer and actually tell a, tell a story that, that would matter even without all the crazy visual images. Um, so in this case, uh, the alien book that we're doing is very much about a man and his son and a man at the end of his life, exploring what his legacy is, is it kind of a, um, you know, man on the moon situation where like you've got mm-hmm. your, um, your kid, like how, how are you going to be remembered? Is it uh, your legacy? Is your legacy at work? Like the work that you did or is it in your son? Like, where does your, where did your time go? 
How do you want to be remembered? Uh, what do you care about now that you're at the end of your life? So it's, there's a lot of regret in it. And um, I say that as a, a guy who works a lot and makes sure that I spend a certain amount of time with my son, not like a minute amount, but like I make sure I get quality time with my son every fucking day, no matter what. Like I, I love that kid more than anything. And I, I blow deadlines to hang out with him and I try to keep him at the front of my mind. Um, so, I mean, this book is basically about that, like imagining myself at the end of my life, having fucked all that up. Mm. And um, like, now what do I do? What do I, now, now that I have to like choose, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what it's about. Uh, it's about really at, at its core. Now, uh, now, first I'll congratulate you on being the first cr- creative voice in the Disney era of uh, Alien, but I'll also right. ask you, I mean, can you talk about, do you have any kind of anxieties or, you know, what, 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 what's your thoughts about being sort of that landmark? Sorry, I'm, I'm logging in the shutter as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it's it. Going, it's he's going right from this to blood quantum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, I need, to, I need to practice my trumpet later. I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be playing with subtitles on watching blood quantum. <laughs> That's my day job. If you didn't know, like I play trumpet in one of the military bands. Oh, so I, I need to make time to practice. And I, these days, with my time, what it is, I, I pretty much never practice not in front of the TV. <laughs> like, <I'm, laughs> I know that's a super shitty thing to say, but I, uh, I'm like trying to, trying to take in stories as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So I'll like just put on subtitles and watch something and, um, and play. And so if it's, sometimes if it's really, really good, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll, you know, I'll come back to it on a proper TV and like watch it like it's intended. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> um, how, like, what, what, what's your thoughts about being, you know, you are the first creative voice of like the more of the Disney era of alien. I mean, if you have like anxieties or joys, I mean, like what, what I, expected, I expected anxiety. Um, I've, <laughs> I've heard a lot of other podcasts and interviews and just conversations with writers, like friends of mine or people I admire who, um, who got the big gig and just kind of like their, their mind kind of collapsed into themselves with the anxiety of it. Like, Oh my God, now I'm actually going to do this thing. I'm going to write fucking Batman or, or whatever it is. Um, and that never really came for me um, for the, on this. I expected, I mean, I've, I've had issues with anxiety and depression in the past and I expected it to be really, really hard. And Thankfully, that has not yet happened. I've, I've been able to, <laughs> able to shoulder it so far, and I've just got extremely excited. When I found out I was doing this gig, I just, instead, it was more like a crack in the knuckles moment, like, let's do this. <laughs> I really wanted to just get in there and and just make the best damn alien comic that's ever been. You know, I just, I, I have all these ideas for the property, things I want to do, things I know I would love to see as a reader. Um uh, you know, I, get, I was subconsciously taking notes this whole time on all the things I thought these comics got really right and things I thought were maybe missing or things that like little missteps or things like aspects of the um, aspects of the canon that might have been fleshed out a little more. Uh, things I really, really love from the films I didn't see enough of in those books. I think generally a lot of these books kind of over rely on the, the, the uh, imagery of the space marine versus the xenomorph um, and the games especially. I mean, like, I'm just sick of seeing that at this point. I mean, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> lasted because it's so cool. But um, now we've seen it. You know, I've, I've heard the little ping of the locator so many times. And uh, it's so cool, but you kind of can't go back. So I'm trying to take it in new directions. But not so far, not to, not to jump so far off 
the bow that you're it's not alien anymore hmm. um honestly i i didn't really feel the anxiety i've just been super excited and I, I feel the responsibility of it for sure because there's i mean i know how big a fan i am and i know there's people like <laughs> me who love it as much as i do maybe almost <laughs> um so i feel a big responsibility not to let them down um but i have i also have just absolute confidence that it's gonna it's gonna be great because i mean bet- between my colleagues and how great they are and um and just the deep love I have for this property. I, I don't think we can go wrong. I mean, I'll say, you know, as a fan, I mean, it really heartens me to know that this is in the hands of the fan. So yeah, that, that, I'm definitely excited about this. Yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and I, not just, not just the stuff we've talked about, like the, um, like I, I kind of know the formula, like how, like the great ones have been great as far as like moving along the story of the, of the Android, of the Xenomorph, of, um, of Ripley, or in this case, you know, somebody new, but um, I also know that, I mean, I, I probably have to acknowledge the second movie is probably the best one, like objectively, um, probably not my favorite of them as good as great. I mean, it's a 10 out of 10. I, um, <laughs> I, I think I just have more love for the first one, but one way in which the second one really shown was um, the emotional attachment that you got with the characters, like the way that you would, that you just invested yourself mm-hmm. in Ripley's relationship with Newt. You know, you saw yeah. that she lost her own daughter, um, and then you see this little kid who loses everyone she has, and they connect. And then between them and Hicks and Bishop, the way that she deeply mistrusts Bishop, which you totally understand, having seen the first film, and then he's like this amazing guy, and he he earns her trust. And then he's fucking dead, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, you just you feel those emotional attachments coming. You, you feel like that 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 pull emotionally. And um, I wanted to bring that same piece. Like I'm just trying to take the best pieces of the of the best movies into this uh, into this new story that belongs on the shelf next to those. So that's that's what we're trying to do. Now, were there were there certain, you know, you're 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 starting basically, you know, well, you're starting at your number one you know, for this, for this property at, uh, you know, a new publisher, you know, so I imagine, you know, there's, there's a degree of, you know, you don't have to bog down in, in what came before, you know, kind of like when Marvel restarted Star Wars, you know, are, are there certain things that you were asked to be mindful of or, or, you know, it's not, you did mention one case of where you kind of push back on editors about one thing, but like, are they talking to you at all about like, oh, well, they're going to do that in the Noah Hawley FX show or anything, you know, along those lines? <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Look out for those Disney snipers right now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, I've had a gun on my nose since I took this job. <laughs> um, let me see. I can say, okay, so when I, when I got the gig, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a bunch of pitches and I went in there like basically with my, you know, my tax ledger and like, here's, here's, all, my, here's all the things I, that we can do together. And um, one of the ideas I came back with, they really liked a lot, like a lot. But they also said, it's a little too similar to what we're doing in the show. <laughs> mm. Like it was almost the same story apparently. Um, well, I can't, that's not, that's overstating it, but it was, it was way similar. So they, um, so we had to doll that one up and we had to tweak it in a way that made it like it would, it would fit in very well with the show, but not tell you know, overstep it, you know? 
Um, I guess I can say that much. So I, I know I have a pretty good idea of what's coming um, in the in the the show that's coming up. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I should that's what I should uh, should say. And I we're very we're being very mindful not to jump the shark. And um, I, as far as what to, what to be mindful of, mm-hmm. um, I've been asking about that a lot lately. Like uh, since I've already written the first few scripts, and they actually referred me to a couple of the novels. Which uh, was surprised, and I have to admit, I have not read those. I only became aware of the novels uh, quite a bit later. Um, I just never seen them on the shelf. But um, so now I'm reading those now, actually. Um, but apparently, there's a lot of stuff in there that's can. There's like a canon thing that I introduced in the scripts. I really wanted to make sure that it was that it was going to line up with. You know, I, I want this book to be canon forever. You know, like I want this to always be hand in hand with the movies. Mm-hmm. Whereas I felt like a lot of the Dark Horse books um, set themselves apart in a lot of ways. Like all the, the canon with the, the Royal Jelly and the, at some point they introduced Android Xenomorphs that speak English and like <laughs> as a, kind of a mole in the nest, the nest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, this is such an out idea. It's cool, but it's not, I can't imagine seeing that in a movie. You know, like they, they had these big hives, like controlled like man-made hives where they were growing and studying xenomorphs and they had an android that was in there with them. Um, that's just so unlike, I mean, it's, it's not that different from resurrection. Resurrection sucked. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, so anyway, I'm just being very mindful that these needs to belong. And so I kept asking questions like, is this, this is fit. This is fit. This is fit. Been kind of pet, kind of a pest to make sure that lines up with what they've got coming. Mm-hmm. And they, they, somebody mentioned I should read those books. I'm glad I did because there's, there is, a slight thing in there mm-hmm. that that contradicts the, something we were about to do. Mm-hmm. So I got to, to tweak the story a little bit and make it line up with those novels in a way that now it belongs. And now hopefully they'll respect that in the shows and whatever else comes out of it. So going forward, is it kind of following the Star Wars model that Tony Disney where there is one new continuity going forward? Everything prior to that is legends and yeah, <laughs> they haven't they haven't told me, but I, I would imagine. I mean, there's there's stuff in, yeah. in, the, in the Dark Horse books that just simply can't be true at this point. Like there's oh yeah yeah there's things that just blatantly contradict. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that canon is continuing, I mean, God, there's even fuck man, there's there's stuff in the comics that, that contradicts the third movie. Like there's there's stuff where <laughs> uh, Hicks and Newt are still alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's and honestly, that is part of why I wanted to rely only on the first two films because mm-hmm. to me. There is, I love three, I really do. But I do acknowledge that it sucks that they took, that they killed Hicks and Newt off camera. Sorry, Dan, mm-hmm. I'm not seen these movies yet, but that's on you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spoilers for the 41 year old franchise. Yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, I, shit, what was I saying? So they, uh, I was afraid, I'm kind of afraid they're eventually gonna retcon that movie. Uh, as good as it is, I could see them like there's so much fan love for those first two movies and so much less for the ones that come after that. I could see them just kind of, you know, dry erase board the second, the, the, the next two movies and just kind of doing it again. So I want to make something that definitely belongs with those first two movies and does not disprove whatever they decide to do later. Um, the uh, Neil Blomkamp rumors have started circulating again, where you know, a couple of years ago, he was going to basically uh, yeah. wipe out the third. Yeah. That, I, 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 mean, I don't know but that would have been sweet i i mean i don't know i i hate to dis the things i liked about three were that they they showed us another corner of humanity away from earth they showed us how uh humanity was kind of conquering the cosmos 
we saw another little culture that didn't that we hadn't seen before, which I thought was super rad. Um, the introduction of the new of the, the dog xenomorph or ox, depending on which version you saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know there's a lot of stuff about it I liked a lot, but I also really hate to lose the newt thing. Um, so I don't know. I can go either way, but I just can't predict what they're going to do. Is I mean, yeah, the blunt pen thing almost happened, and still may. You know, it, mm-hmm. it could still totally happen. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to make it. I don't want to commit to either path. You know, I'm just going to yeah. like turn back the clock a little bit and um, and show how Whale Newtani gets the alien, like without Ripley. Nice. So, what a fast, what, what a terrifying concept. You know, a company whose uh, motto is building better worlds, and they're all about getting something that would be the absolute destroyer of worlds. I mean, that that's a fascinating concept. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, oh God, I love these movies so much, man. I can't wait for you to read this book. I wish you already had a copy so we could like, really get into it. Um, in, in terms of oversight, you know, and I, and I think we've touched on it, but, you know, how is this different? How is working on Alien different from, you know, Superman or, or you know, the Empire Cap tie-in, for example? Is there a little, is, is you know, are there more layers of it? Um, God, it's so different. I... Man, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, with Cap and Superman, I mean, honestly, I guess it's not that different as far as the approach. I mean, I'm a huge fan of those other characters too. I mean, it sounds bullshitty for me to say like, oh, I love Superman, I love Cap, I love Alien. I've got honestly, I really do. These are all like things I've loved my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I mean, I think I I was aware of Superman before I was aware of the other ones. Um, Superman is one of my earliest heroes. Superman and Batman were probably my two for earliest like heroes that I wanted mm-hmm. to be like at different moments, you know. And they, they both represent very different power fantasies. But um, the approach to writing any licensed book is just to to read a lot. Of, at least in my experience, has been to read a lot of their back catalog, like just mainline that character, and just learn to love them. Like learn like you. T- find your take on them. Like, what do you think about the character? Who do, you, who do you, who do you think they are? What aspect of their canon do you feel like has been underserved that you can, that you can help fill in or what is there room for to come next? Um, my first licensed book ever was Adventure Time. Oh, wow. And wow. they were like, Hey, we'd love for you to do a short story before this Adventure Time anthology. I'm like, dude, that'd be awesome. I love Adventure Time. That was a complete lie. I'd never read one. <laughs> <laughs> never, never seen the show. And I just, I got Hulu that day or whatever it was. <laughs> I just watched like 24 hours straight Adventure Time. And that show was weird as shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, um, but I came to really love it because I mean, as, as weird as it is, there is like, there is a logic to the show. It's super twisted and weird, but there's a, there is lore that kind of makes sense in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you figure it out, you kind of crack that code. Okay, so there's princesses and there's kingdoms and there's there's this and this and this. And but when you was, when you first watch a couple of episodes, episodes, you're like, okay, so it's about this kid who's human, but he looks super weird. And there's a stretchy dog. This is friend. The dog talks and it's raining knives <laughs> right now. And you're like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And then the more you get through it, you kind of find out. You discover, oh, this is all this is all post-apocalyptic. Here's what happened to humans. Here's why the dog is stretchy. Here's how it's, you know, this is why raining knives is possible. This is, this is the kind of logic it's based on. So I just, I just consumed enough of it where it made sense to me. 
and I kind of got the character's voices and I was able to write my own mm-hmm. thing. And, I, and then it filled in a, a hole in my, um, my, you know, nerddom that I had never, I, I, <laughs> I didn't get adventure time before that. And now I do. And that was a way for me to kind of, you know, fill in a, a weak point in my, you know, in my culture, you know, knowledge. Uh, same thing later for Aquaman. I got called to do Aquaman. And I was like, yeah, dude, I love Aquaman. <laughs> then I read a ton of Aquaman and, uh, and learned to really love him. Now I didn't have to do that for Cap or Superman or Alien because I'm already a huge fan of those things. <laughs> and uh, so in that case, I didn't have to do anything. Uh, I decided to, well, I mean, I still went back and read a bunch of stuff and tried to familiarize myself with those characters and like find my, <laughs> find my voice for the characters. And um, I'm very glad I did that. So in that way, it's actually pretty similar. You, you, just, you take in everything you can on that character and also on other things that you think will help you. For example, when I was getting ready to write Cap, I actually I went back and read or listened to a lot of like Edward R. Murrow um, monologues and Walter Cronkite speeches and FDR speeches mm-hmm. and just kind of people that kind of typify for me, exemplify like old world America, like just the voice of patriotism, like when that person speaks, you listen, like the person, people who are kind of held up as the voice of America. And I kind of try to give, give Cap that voice because he's, a, he's not the perfect soldier of the 21st century. He's the perfect soldier of the thirties. And he should have this kind of hokey old man way of talking in my opinion. Um, but in the best, strongest, most, most positive way. Um, but it's very different than Superman's voice. Um, he's a, he's a man of, of our time for the most part. Um, so yeah, I just try to find my voice for every character in that way. And, um, so yeah, in that way, I guess we're not that different, but I mean that I, uh, but a Superman movie should make you feel very different than an alien film. Like if you watch a Superman movie or read a Superman comic, the best ones, um, to quote Mark Miller, you just come out of there feeling like a million bucks. You know, you just, <laughs> you're looking for this guy who shows you the way you're not looking for someone, at least I'm not looking for a Superman that I can relate to who ha- has the same weaknesses, weaknesses as me. He makes the same dumb mistakes as I do, trying to find his way. Um, I want to see a Superman that shows me the way and that makes me want to be more than I am. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to write a character who is smarter than I am, who's better than I am. And I have to kind of be better than I am to write that character. Like I have to just, it's a very different mindset. Um, Alien kind of shows us the worst of ourselves. <laughs> Alien is, uh, shows us a world in which corporations are literally killing all life in the universe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know like this you know this corporation is trying to find this thing presumably to make up their own bioweapon they don't and like they're, just, they're trying to f- capture this fire that they cannot control um so it's all in it, at its core it's kind of about corporate greed and their willingness to to run over their own people to get whatever they want um so it's you know and both stories are true you know so the i can i can write a very different i can write superman you know in one part of my brain and alien in another, and they can both be true. I can, I can, I can tell a story about corporations and the harm they do. And I can tell a story about the best of us and how we should be this other thing. So it's been really great. Now, uh, you know, at, at this point or, or, you know, with the alien franchise in its history, crossovers are inevitable. Uh, you know, <laughs> again, we, you know, spoil, spoil nothing. But uh, you know, are there are there dream matchups? Uh, you know that that you have. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been thinking about it too much yet. There's not um, the alien story that I'm doing now does not take place in the the six one six quote unquote mm-hmm. as we call it, like the main sure. Marvel universe. 
Um, but those images uh, on that first announcement were pretty good. I, I was like seeing the, the Xenomorph like searching through the uh, Guardian's ship and seeing Predator holding it, you know, Tony Stark's head, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked so good, man. I can't imagine not using that stuff at some point. So I, um, I would like to see hmm, Predator versus, God, so many possibilities. I mean, my, my gut reaction was Wolverine. But, because um, he needs somebody who can like really kill, you know? I mean, not necessarily. Yeah. We, did, we saw Batman alien, you saw Superman alien. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. have to be that way, but. Um, yeah, I mean, Predator versus Wolverine would be pretty cool. Or just an, an alien infestation. God, there's so many things you can do. I don't know. Here, I'll throw one at you. Feel free to steal this because that's something I would love to read, but kind of done in the style back of the old What If books. That they actually, uh, when Marvel originally had Conan, uh, they actually integrated Conan and, you know, what if Conan lived today and everything. Similar, I like thought, what if the high evolutionary got its hands on an alien? Right there. I would love to read something, you know, that that's a great way to, other than that, I think like the Silver Surfer would probably be a good, crossover with alien i mean you know somebody who's become sort of like the remorseful remorseful defender of all life you should read my marvel zombies resurrection book um there's i mean it's so clearly made from an alien infested mind like there's a um the whole thing is set up when they you know there's um reed richards gets a message from captain marvel out the cosmos and she you can't understand the whole message but they uh, they investigate and they find Galactus's corpse floating outside of our solar system. And they're like, we've got to get it before somebody else finds it because it's full of all this crazy, you know, next world tech yeah. that somebody else, like all these other characters can, can use to hurt us. Like we need it. But, uh, Tony Stark and Beast are like, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to take it. We're gonna <laughs> it. <clears throat> so all of the most, all of the heaviest hitters in the Marvel U go out there and find Galactus floating out there dead. And it's being used as a basically a ship for something awful, <laughs> you know. Like they're they're using these these things like warship the dead body of Galactus, and they're using it as a ship to travel the cosmos. That's and cool. That's conquer really cool. all life. Um, it's very very alieny. <laughs> so I think you dig it. I'm gonna check that out. <laughs> so yeah, honestly, I I kind of like. I would like to see the Avengers out in space, kind of a setup like that where they're trapped out there facing this, and then they don't know what they're facing. And then there's this thing and they, they can't like escape and are trapped in some kind of a place with them, like with the hive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And maybe see, see a xenomorph born from like a super powered being, see what comes next. Pretty rad. I'm just saying. <laughs> the xenomorph is the true king in black. Uh- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, now, the problem with that is that the brood is so similar to xenomorphs that it's kind of a problem. <laughs> so I'm not sure how they would tackle it. If they would just kind of pretend the brood are not around for a bit, or if they'd have them just like, oh, they just own it and have them go head to head, or like what happens next? Explain it away as like saying that they're made from the same shit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let it go, fries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're just having them high five and attack everybody. You know, <laughs> possibilities are, are, are endless. Um, are you, are you, are you training? Are you secretly training? Uh, you know, not because this is happening or, or, or not happening, but you know, do you have in the back of your head, well, 
They're probably going to want me to do an Alien versus Predator at some point. Better start thinking about that, just in case. <laughs> I haven't yet, no. I have not, uh, I'm very much in Alien land right now, and I have not mm-hmm. thought about how the Predators fit in that yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't say no to that book. I, I mean, I love Predator too. It's not, I mean, I admit I'm an Alien guy, first mm-hmm. and foremost. But I really do love those first two movies, and I thought the Predators film they did recently was cool too. Um, like felt more like a true sequel to the original, which mm-hmm. is pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I haven't really thought about how to incorporate that yet, um, or even I don't know if I would even be the one to do that book. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see what comes. Oh God, never mind the Marvel universe. I mean, you have the whole Disney universe you can play with. <laughs> kind of reminds me, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, we were down in uh, Disneyland with our Disney World with uh, Dan and his wife and my wife, and uh, of course we had the idea. All right, we got to go get a picture with Mickey. Now this was uh, probably a couple weeks after the big Fox takeover, mm-hmm. and I think, all right, I'm going to get into the spirit of this thing. And I had uh, the Fright Rags Alien 1979 Kenner action figure T-shirt on. Nice. We go into the we go into the castle with Mickey, and the the the, the, the person in the in the suit takes a look at the shirt and starts gesturing like, oh, no, no, he's covering it up like, no, no, no. Get away. <laughs> and I was about two seconds away from doing a well actually to a fucking costume character in a theme park. <laughs> it's like, no, you're in the same house now, buddy. In probably yeah. two years, you're going to be in this suit. <laughs> Meet your new princess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> right, next to, right next to Moana. Um, <laughs> so so as a fan uh you know do you do you partake in uh you know the the 426 uh, alien day uh observance <laughs> yeah i try to i try to do something do something cool for alien that day at least at least some kind of acknowledgement on social media i mean i'm mm-hmm. i'm so busy i basically don't celebrate holidays anymore <laughs> of any kind okay <laughs> um, but uh yeah i try to do something i friggin love alien and i do try to do something on that day yeah last of us day as well you know, got to do the screening this year. Um, I recently got my hands on the uh, the Mondo, who does these really like elaborate vinyl. Uh, I got the, the the vinyl score of the original Jerry Goldsmith. It's on like uh, Alien Green Blood vi- vinyl. Oh my god, that's now, so great! I got, yeah, the, I got the, the Last of Us score from Mondo. Oh, I love those. I, I've become like a Mondo freak in the last couple of years, but I am waiting until the twenty sixth for the needle to hit that record. It's it's, it's killing me, but. <laughs> Since we're giving out some Mondo love, I got to say, they did a series of one-sheet posters for episodes of Batman the Animated Series, and they just released a coffee table book of all of them, plus the stuff they did for the vinyl soundtracks in one big, gorgeous book. And if you're a fan of it, it's really worth it. I, I mean, it's a Batman guy. It's just, it's astounding to look at the stuff they did for mask of the phantasm was oh my god that movie was so good man oh yeah my mondo is like the criterion of cool geek shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. i totally agree yep, so before <laughs> we completely wind down on top of writing alien for marvel as we've mentioned briefly you're writing the greatest alien in comics superman for dc starting this week congratulations oh, yeah. thanks thanks man uh What's it like to be writing that that or superhero, the the one from which all others are born? Yeah, it's, it's an incredible honor. I mean, it's, honestly, it was kind of the same as when I got the alien call. Like I I got offered it 
I did have this moment of like disbelief. I'm like, is this really happening? Like, is there some way this could not be true? And I just could not, because they were like, you want to do both books. And this is technically, these are my first ongoing books ever. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I, I mean, technically. I mean, because I mean, The Last God was 12 issues. So that's pretty long. I've done long runs before. I mean, I did, I wrote uh, Power of the Dark Crystal, which was also, I did eight of those 12 issues as well. Um, so I've done long stuff, but to take the reins on Superman and action comics for, I mean, what's going to be a, a while. I'm not going to be on both books for super long, but I'm going to be on one of them for probably a long time. And uh, it's just the biggest friggin' honor and um, such a weight, especially following Bendis. Um, Bendis, I mean, not everyone loved everything he did as far as like, he made, he, he took some big swings and made some changes to continuity that people are kind of pissed about, but you can, I mean, you can't deny how much he's done in the industry and how great he is as a writer. He's done such, I mean, he, he invented Miles Morales and uh, Jessica Jones and made the Avengers the coolest they've ever been. I mean, so much of what happened in the films has come straight out of his brain. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a legend. I mean, to follow Bendis on both titles is just this insane honor. So honestly, it makes me want to be better. You know, like some, there are times when I'm, I'm writing a comic, like a script, and I kind of just stop and step back and I'm like, is this special? Like, am I, is this, how, how good is this really? And I kind of question whether I'm just trying to meet this deadline or if I'm really doing something that's going to be somebody's favorite book, you know? And I'll go and I'll take some time, just like stop and I'll go and find something really special, something that means something to me and that really meant a lot to somebody else. And, um, and just inspire myself again and be like, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. We're not just trying to get this shit turned in by Friday. We're trying to make something that's going to be somebody's favorite book. Something that's going to matter to people years after I'm dead. Um, this is a huge responsibility and I can't phone this in. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. I stop sometimes and I'll read from a list of books that to me, like changed me, that like changed my perception of what the medium can do. And, um, and, so, and also read new stuff as well that I, that I think stands a good chance at being on that level as well. And just try to remind myself what the state of the art is, where the bar is, and just try to reach for it every time. One of the highlights for me, at least, who read the entire line of Future State was the House of L one shot that you oh, wrote man, at the you end. So um, you're very welcome. There were so, I mean, you're just saying about some of the stuff that, you know, Ben has done with concepts. Some of the concepts in that book with the different long descendants of Superman were just, it was chock-a-block full of all these big ideas. Well, I understand that that's, you know, set centuries in the future. Is some of that stuff, the foundations of that, going to be things you might be playing with a little in your Superman run? Yes. Okay. That's the short answer. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I was. I don't want spoilers. I like to go, but yeah. And uh, just finally, one more, one last Superman question because it's interesting. Because you were talking about in Alien, your Alien book, about a father and a son and this distance between them. Clark and John. I mean, when you're talking about a dad that you can look up to, I mean, he's Superman. Yeah, it, it's it. hard. I mean, listen, Batman's my guy. He always has been, but he's. Not exactly the world's best dad to any of his innumerable. I think writers who make it make it seem like he doesn't try aren't getting 
Bruce. I mean, he he would try, but he's he's kind of a fundamentally kind of broken guy. Clark, on the other hand, is Superman. How do you? How are you going to be? Or how do you feel that relationship works between John and Clark? And how are you going to play with that in your writing? Man, well, I mean, first, have you? Do you have a review copy of tomorrow? Not no, yet. Okay. Um, so, God, what do I say here? <laughs> um, this will I mean, come yeah, out it, after, and I. All oh, right. right. I, I can. This will be out after the book drops, and while I. I'm not big on spoilers. This is a book I'm going to be reading tomorrow. So you can, you can spoil away a little bit on this one. I'll live. I mean, there's, there's a, so you'll see a little bit. Okay. So we, as so you've read Bendis' work then? Yeah. Okay. So you know about the continuity stuff I'm talking about, the things that are big changes he made. I'm also a Legion guy. So I've followed John okay. through there cool. as well. That's great. Um, so let's see. Um, we, okay, so people talk to me every single day, pretty much every hour on the hour, uh, and harass me to DH John, <laughs> like every day. <laughs> and um, I have very specific good reasons why I can't do that. <laughs> um, I can't get into all of them, but, um, but Superman definitely would feel that loss, right? I mean, he would, he's lost years with his son at this, this really crucial age, and that affects him a lot. And we're going to see that in the books. We're going to see them kind of deal with it. When I was when I first got the gig, my first thought was that there would be this drama, not just because Superman has lost this time with him and would would feel that that cost. Um, but John has been he came of age largely um, in the 31st century with Legion, in an era in which Superman is like is regarded as Jesus Christ with superpowers, and this guy is his actual son. <laughs> like in the future, not his descendant, but like his son who lived with him. Um, I mean, who would want that pressure? And that's insane that he would be in that position. Um, and people would look to him kind of as if he was Superman himself. And nobody could measure up to that, not even John. So I kind of, exp I wanted to, there to be some kind of tension between the two of them, not tension on Superman's side, but John, not resentful, but, um, but almost like it just, um, seeing his dad face to face again after that, after everyone talks about him like he's this God. And then he sees the actual him and, and sees that he's just a guy like the rest of us. Um, that would be weird. And I, I kind of wanted to show some of that, but when, when it came down to actually writing them on the page, it didn't feel true uh, because of the, just the deep understanding and love that John and Clark have for each other. Cause I mean, Clark loves his son, to the ends of the earth, no matter what. And John feels that same way towards his dad. So the, uh, the, uh, the drama that I thought could have been there in theory um, just didn't make sense on the page when you when I actually read it. Um, so the relationship remains amazing. I mean, John came of age partly in the future, but also partly, you know, out in space with, with his granddad, like lost in space and then trapped by Ultraman and, you know, getting like basically tortured, you know, just, super shitty and it, there would have been a big opening for John to come back to modern day and to be all screwed up. Um, but he didn't, he came back and he's the same compassionate, loving, positive, fun kid that he was despite all that. He went through all that and he came back just 
every bit as resilient as he was when he left. And, um, and that's what we see. We see them with a great relationship. Superman feels the loss of it more so even than John does, actually a lot more. And, and Lois does too. And we explore that a little bit. I mean, in the very first issue, we talk about what that means to, to Superman especially and to John and what he, what he experienced in the future as well and how that affects things. Um, but yeah, you're right. Superman is like this ideal dad. I want him to be that way. I want Superman to be the absolute best of us in all things. I want him to inspire us in all things. I don't want to see a Superman like we saw in Man of Steel where he's um, kind of searching for what the right thing is and trying to figure it out and kind of hiding, like saving people when he can, but not in a big way and just struggling with things he's been taught. Um, I don't want to see that. You know, I want to see Superman that shows us the way. Um, and yeah, you're right about Batman too. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, kind of broken. He's He's broken in a very specific way that makes him also better than all of us, but in a way in which he is crazy. Like he has to be, he would have to be legit crazy to do the things that he does and to be as good as he is at certain things. And in making himself what he is, he also made him kind of this, he made himself into this person that does not, and on some levels functions at an uber high level, at an inhuman level, but also functions way subpar in some social situations like parenting, where he has, because of the insanely high uh, expectations he has for himself, he also has these crazy high expectations of others in a way, even if he doesn't always show it. And that would be the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah, he doesn't, there are aspects of person-to-person -person interactions that Bruce doesn't get. Right. But at the same time, and I think this is where I, as someone who's read every Batman comic that has come out for 40 years, God help me, um, <laughs> you can see there's, he, when he's written is not really caring. It's like, no, he cares too much. That's the foundation that, he really goes out there. I've written scads about this over the years. Writers, when Batman is written as this lunatic driven solely by vengeance, it misses what I think is the core of the character. That this is a guy who goes out there every night because he doesn't want what happened to him when he couldn't protect his family to happen to anyone else. He is at his core, someone who is really trying to make other people have a better life than what he did. And there's a great moment in an episode of the young justice cartoon where the justice league is gathered and they're arguing about whether or not all these, the sidekick should be going out on all these missions that Batman has been sending them on. And Wonder Woman, in a moment of peak, says something to the effect of, oh, you took Robin in when he was 12 and turned him into a child soldier to turn him into another, turn him into you. He's like, no, I took him in so he wouldn't turn into me. And Bruce can't express that to these kids, but he's doing that so Dick didn't wind up as broken, that Jason didn't wind up in a life of crime, that Damien didn't turn into his grandfather and not his father. Yeah. Tim Drake was okay. It's all super valid. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I, I, you know, you, you got me started on Batman and I just go. I, I got to rain that one. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of huge contrast between those guys. And um, it's such a pleasure writing John and Superman both about how they interact with each other. 
but also, um, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Damien, showing, showing John and Damien together. We see them together in an issue coming up and they have the same relationship still. Doesn't mean John is older and he's bigger and more handsome and more muscular, but that kind of makes the contrast between him and Damien even cooler. So it's still really fun to see them together on the page. I'm looking forward to that. I've missed that interaction. Yeah, me too. So uh, winding down, uh, last couple questions. Uh, what, are you, what are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading Ice Cream Man. Oh. It's really, really good. Um, I'm getting caught up finally. Now that it's done, I'm getting caught up in Gideon Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I am reading. What else? I'm, go- I'm rereading a couple of books that I read often. <laughs> um, I'm reading the um, <clears throat> David, uh, David Rubin uh, San Diego Garcia uh, Beowulf that I think is incredible. Um, my favorite thing is Monsters. It's something I go back and read pretty often. Not, yeah, like pretty often. It's friggin' incredible. Um, I was, let's see, I had the privilege of reading Noctera, uh, Noctera number one by Scott Snyder the other day. That was really cool. Very Stephen Kingy, like it's a, it's a very high concept Stephen King kind of setup, or or Joe Hill too, honestly. And the two of those guys are friends, but um, set up, sets up the world in a way that Stephen King would, especially back in the day when he's doing stuff like The Stand, mm-hmm. um, or The Long Walk. Like this kind of he sets up this this new world um, very concisely, very briefly, and uh, the main character in it, how she can be the way she is. And a, a bad guy with a super Stephen Kingy name, like what's his name? Black Top Bill, I think is what they call him. <laughs> Just Stephen King as fuck. I mean, it, it's I, that's what I was thinking the whole way through it. Um, but but really, really good. Great art too by Tony Daniel. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I started reading. I'm not through it yet, but I've been re, I've been going back, and uh, I, I fell off of X Men, but it's, but I really liked what I read. I read the the uh, Oh God, the first, the two series that interlocked. House of X, House of Ten, yeah. Yeah, um, I read those. I'm, I've been rereading those and now, well, I got through those and now I'm, re- I'm reading uh, the X-Men and X-Force runs that came out of that. Oh, nice. Um, gosh, what else? Um, and I'm re- I, on top of those, I'm reading a lot of um, research for stuff I can talk about <laughs> for a, sure. another book that has not yet been announced. We are familiar with the rule of the NDA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all good. Yeah, doing a lot of research too. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, this has been uh, a fantastic chat. Uh, final yeah. question. How can people follow you online, keep up with everything you got going on? At Twitter, at Philip K. Johnson, Philip with two L's. At um, Instagram, at Philip underscore Kennedy underscore Johnson. I'm at Facebook under my full name. I've got a website, philipkennedyjohnson.com. And yeah, I'm on all those places every day. All right, Philip, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is now part of ComicsXF, formerly Xavier Files, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, 
and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember to spay and neuter your good night and good luck. WMQA.